Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Balls Over the Top podcast. I'm Michael Rock. I'm Brendan Collins. And we got a lot to get into tonight, so I'm pretty excited about it. Yes. But to start things off, I think it was a pretty monumental week in sport. Absolutely. I know we normally start off with world football, which we'll get into in just a moment. But this week, Major League Baseball finally righted a wrong of literally decades. As of what, I think it was like... Last Thursday, last yeah. Wednesday. I mean, we're you know the days run together during this COVID pandemic, but they formally recognized all of the Negro baseball leagues as part of Major League, basically history, mm-hmm. canon. Yes, part of the record. Part of the record books. There's no asterisks. There's no, you know, s- distinguishing between the two, mm-hmm. which is long overdue. I mean, especially when you consider. The fact that these players were barred from the league, mm-hmm. even when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, it's not like they rolled out a welcome wagon for him. I mean, he faced discrimination mm-hmm. day in and day out. Yep. The Phillies were one of the worst, actually, as far as I believe they were like the last team in the majors to actually desegregate. Yeah, and, no, I, I mean, Philadelphia's history with race and baseball is not a not a not a, one. not a good one. And so it's a major, you know, turning of the page, starting of a new chapter, and writing of a major wrong for baseball to finally make this recognition and make this change. Yeah, it's it's a good change to see. It means that the league is not completely out of touch. I mean, we can always get to that later. So we just wanted to start off with that. We will touch on some Major League Baseball news, but wanted to recognize that, acknowledge that major point in the history of sport here, uh, you know, in in the major North American leagues. Yeah. And wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah, it's a preservation of history. It's important. Yeah, I wanted to acknowledge that right off the bat. No pun intended. We can uh, jump right into things, though. So let's get into world football. We had a pretty exciting week this past week. Absolutely. No European competition, but the domestic leagues are really... Bumping up the frequency and intensity with a lot of these matches. Absolutely. Well, for, I mean, a couple of leagues we're going to talk about, we're going to have a whole bunch of games tomorrow and the day after on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. We've got an onslaught of soccer coming at us. Yeah, I mean, a lot of midweek games. We usually see that. We usually, we usually see that with the European Cups, but right now we're seeing that with a lot of the domestic Cups. Things like the FA Cup, things like the German Cup, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the Pokal. Uh, yeah, but we've got we've got league play like tomorrow and Wednesday. Not in the Prem. We have for other leagues though. Yeah, and in, in Italy. And in Spain. And in Spain we do. In the Prem, it's going to be Boxing Day. Yes, yeah, Boxing Day is when Day the next is. matches are coming up. Right. So we do have. Well, this league is after the New Year. It's true, but we do have Spain and Italy trying to cram in a bunch of matches here Absolutely. before the calendar year, because they do, they will be taken off for the holiday. Mm-hmm. They, take, they take the Christmas break. So we have some exciting stuff to get into, though. The Premier League, which is my favorite league to watch, in my opinion, you know, the most competitive, the highest caliber league in the world. There were some really good ones, you know. Started off with an absolute drubbing. I mean, Liverpool opened up the weekend in style. 
embarrassing Crystal Palace with a 7-0 drubbing and really cementing themselves back at the top of the table, mm-hmm. especially with a major defeat by uh, of, of the Spurs by Leicester City, a 2-0, you know, clean sheet kept there by Schmeichel, who really played an outstanding game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really flipped the table. Yeah, it flips the table around. You know, Chelsea manages to stop their free fall today with a solid 3-0 victory. Thiago Silva getting the goal in the 10th minute, then Tammy Abraham netting a brace two minutes apart from each other. Really a, a quick double. Yeah. And and so, you know, there's it's just we're all over the place with this table. I mean, Manchester United comes out and is absolutely dominant against Leeds. A, a United side that hasn't been able to put together two consistent halves of football mm-hmm. in what feels like months. Well, this is a restoration of a of an antique rivalry, right? This Leeds versus Menu matchup. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the last several years, as you know, the big six really took form, and I say the last several years, we're talking about about thirty years now at this point, mm-hmm. but. Leeds haven't really been in that conversation. Really, it's even been the last ten years. Leeds haven't been in the conversation. I mean, even they well, were they, playing. They, they tumbled playing, quite a bit. They were playing though in significant European competition, like you know, in the two thousands, and then just fell rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so it is good to see them back at the top flight and hopefully reestablishing this. You know, they've been a high pressing team all year. I remember we were discussing whether or not to take the over of two and a half in this game and we both confidently said yes there which you know give us a little bit of props for that but oh, yeah. now that we see that after the fact in the rearview mirror that there were eight goals scored it's like damn where was the seven and a half you know like uh-huh. it was an insane match i mean really really something the the attacking movement from united when they're feeling it is I, I would say best in the league. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's paralleled with the attacking force that you have. I mean, amongst well, just the Rashford, Martial, Pogba, Fernandez, and yeah, I, across the board, it's a just an outrageous attacking side. Elsewhere, we saw Everton face off against Arsenal. That was an interesting one. Everton gets the two to one win. Arsenal again going down to 10 men it's just it's unbelievable what's gonna happen or like what's up how's arteta just sitting in a chair still i think because of the prestige of the name yeah you know the reputation he's built up at that club over many years and the fact that as a manager and they're just trying to Hold on till they can get to a transfer window. And I mean, they're still in Europe, you know, which is yeah, yeah. Getting silverware saves your job quite often. Yeah, he won something last year. He was first Arsenal manager to win silverware in their first year on the job. Like I think maybe ever, it might not be ever. I heard the stat last weekend while I was watching games. They were like, "Oh, first manager to win silver," and I was like, "Oh, I'll repeat that during the podcast." And then and I and did totally not did not remember it at all. Yeah, no, I'm not going to act like I. I they mentioned something it. about him getting a trophy as a manager, but how it was significant that even like Arsenio Wenger and and some other prominent Arsenal managers did mm-hmm. not win anything in their first seasons. Because also, I mean, I have to remember, no, 
no London club other than Chelsea have ever won the Champions League. Right. So, of the major trophies that Arsenal have been in a position to win, mm-hmm. it's significant that, that Arteta won. I mean, they haven't won the league in a while, I mean, since the Thierry Henry days. So, I wonder what's going to happen, too. I think Arteta gets a bit of a leash. I don't think his job is in any form of immediate jeopardy. But it would be good to see that ship turn around. I mean, I'm happy to see them struggle. Heck, I I think it would be hilarious to see them get relegated. But, like, in a realistic sense, I imagine it's going to be a slow turn. I imagine it's going to be a disappointing finish, you know. But it happens. You know, Chelsea, I forget what year it was, they, they were, like, 12th place. I think it was the year they actually won the Europa League, so they still made it into the Champions League that year. Mm-hmm. But... They were, they were terrible in the league. They were terrible domestically. They couldn't, they couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah. And so, we've seen this before. I imagine Arteta is going to take a lot of that energy and direct it more toward these cup ties, more toward the European competition. And I think, especially if they start to build momentum in those draws. You know, in in those matchups, they'll start to string together some positive results in the league as well. Because I I think you know how much of the game is morale. True. You know. But let's move on from England into the rest of Europe here, and we'll move over into Germany, the team that's already on the break now. Team that's uh, we'll, we'll we'll hit on the last two leagues that are playing this week at or you know well not this week but you know playing tomorrow after this. Why don't we start with Germany? An interesting weekend of matches and started off with a, a bit of a punch in the gut for you. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Mukoko becomes the youngest, second youngest, I think, Bundesliga? No, youngest Bundesliga goal scorer to score. Is that what he did? Is that, is that what happened in yeah, that match? Yeah, that's what happened. At 16 years and so many days old. And uh, that's what happened. Dortmund scored one goal in the match. Um, that That's how that game went, right? I think no. you're right, yeah. Uh, no, all right. Union Berlin I mean, Dortmund did score one goal in that match. Union Berlin beat Dortmund 2-1 uh, in a really rough game. Um, Favre's out. I don't know what the plan is, manager-wise. This is... Uh, an impasse, kind of, but they've got a little bit of time to think about it. I think that was a rushed decision. I think it was impulsive. I think it was premature. I think it was irresponsible. I could continue if you want. I think I think it's the principal coming in and firing the kindergartner teacher because the kindergartners are being kindergartners. Exactly. That's what I mean. I yeah. I don't. I don't love the move. That would have been like that. Would have been like the Abramovich firing Lampard during the year that Chelsea had the transfer ban and been like, "Oh, you only finished fourth. Yeah, but we. I mean, we don't have a transfer ban, and uh, I don't. I know, and I would argue Sancho's the personnel regression has been. I've been good. Yeah, I don't know. I just. I think it's. It's bad. It's not good at the moment. I 
I'm really, I'm honestly worried what Dorman's going to do because I don't think firing your manager before a break is a good idea. Um, I don't think it's great for morale because I don't think he was hated by anybody. It seems like this will, I imagine, will come as a shock to a lot of the players. And I don't know if it'll come in, if these are players who have the pedigree and the mental fortitude to use that as a rallying cry and something to build off of. Yeah, because that's a bunch of 18-year-olds, man. I imagine, exactly, like, if it's, you know, a club full of like trusty veterans and, and players who have established careers either at that club or even elsewhere, but have, you know, a solid understanding of the business of the... Uh, sport of how all that operates. I mean, yes, all these players have been inundated and, and submersed in the sport since their childhood, but like and that's still a bit of a shake for a team that seemed like otherwise they were considered one of the hottest teams in the league. Everybody's talking about the the dazzle and the, the wonder kids. The creativity and the wonder kids and you know, they're still in the top four in a league that is way more competitive than last year. Mm-hmm. They're, they won their Champions League group ahead of Lazio, another major European club. And, and you know, like I said, coming out top of your group in the Champions League is not, nothing to turn your nose up at, you know. So it, it seems like, too, the points he was dropping... It's not like you guys were dropping major points to, to the game or in the games that you were that you know Leipzig or or, or Gladbach or Leverkusen or Bayern. It's like you know the games that you you really look at the fixture and you think you'd win. You know you even well, like also you're Berlin, missing the real, Stuttgart. The and you're missing thing, Erlen Holland. You're missing Holland. Like that's uh, the whole point of this is well, you're missing your your world class striker already. I mean, honestly, like who who are you taking over him? You you've got like Ronaldo probably. You've got Kylian Mbappe, but as far as just pure strikers, Lewandowski. And then where does your mind go? Like, well, I get you. Like it's as like, as far as like right now, like with like maybe maybe Aguero. But like he falls off sometimes. Like as far as like consistency, like putting yeah, it I mean, on you're the board. Up there with, you're up there with again Lukaku, maybe. Maybe. You know he gets a lot of work done on the penalties, but still he's. I mean he puts them away. So there's yeah Aguero when he's on the pitch. There, but when you're in that conversation and you're practically a teenager, yeah. Obviously his importance can't be understated. You know, and you would hope you you would hope you have the depth to fill in the gaps, especially for just league play. Like it's not like you're going up against the top of Europe without your main striker, and you're coming up short. But you're coming up in the league short. It's cause for concern. Is it ousting the manager concern? Maybe I guess if the personalities have gotten that bad, it's become that toxic of an environment. But I mean, does a five-one win mean toxic, or a five-one loss mean a toxic environment? I don't think so. Like I Especially think you take your game, long in a match like that where you're chasing goals from the early on. Yeah, from the get go. Chasing goals in that one from the early on. 
I, you know, I think this was, I, again, I went on a list earlier, but so it seems like we're in agreement that we feel this decision was maybe a bit rushed. Yeah, I, it and just seems... Hopefully, you know, I, I like rooting for Dortmund. I, I enjoy watching them with you as far as German teams go. You know, I've never really had a real affinity for a team. I've kind of rooted for for Bayern, rather, because of Arjen Robin and yeah. how much I liked him. But yeah, now that he's long gone, I've kind of taken a liking to Dortmund and, and, you know, followed your lead there. So I'm hoping they can get on the right track with this. But I think this was definitely... We need a center back in this win- window. We can't keep running at Kanji out there constantly. Agreed. And I think this was definitely a bit of a rush decision. But some of the other teams also played this week, so why don't we go over some of those matches? Yeah, and honestly, kind of some lackluster performances, I would say. Red Bull Leipzig gets the nil-nil draw against Köln. A couple of Americans in that game. But yeah, Köln's been a very good defensive side. They've they've done it to a couple of teams. They did it to Dortmund not too long ago. They uh, they can really grind out a game. Um, and they also just can't seem to be net goals themselves. I feel like they're still in the relegation zone right now, despite having a fairly good record defensively. As you said, they just they're not putting in goals away. Yeah, and uh, who knows? Who knows what this window brings them? Speaking uh, speaking of a team that doesn't know what they're doing, I mean, we made Dorman sound bad, but this is full like chicken with head cut off. Schalke is at the very bottom of the table, and they lose another one to a team only two places above them in the table in Armenia. Schalke's disastrous season continues. I don't know if there's light at the end of this tunnel. This transfer window is going to be interesting for them if they really just sell off, try and accrue assets, try and build smart. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're a hot mess express right now. I think that would depend on what their finances look like, which are also Bad. a bit of a hot mess. But I think rather than selling off, I think you've got to be doing the opposite. I think considering there's still really only about three wins away from being at least close to out of the relegation zone and, and there's still so much of the season to be played. Yeah, but when who, you consider who are you the, getting for biscuits at this point in this in, uh, in a winter window? I imagine there's still got to be players that want to leave or, or, you know, a guy like Rudiger will want to go somewhere for playing time. You know, yeah, there will be players available true. on loan even. So it wouldn't be a, a major financial commitment or anything like that that you're trying to pull off, especially in the event that you maybe get relegated, you know. Yeah, there's tricks. We can we'll see what happens. But uh, what else we have? Oh, Bayern Leverkusen drops a drops to Bayern. Leverkusen was in first place going into this game, but Bayern takes first place after this game with a two-one victory. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a very entertaining game. Bayern reestablishing their dominance, reasserting their dominance. Yeah, and rallying back in this game after being kind of kind of squandered early on. And lastly, Wolfsburg, that's the 1-0 victory over Stuttgart. Gets the Stuttgart shutout. could not keep the high scoring going after that big win over... Dortmund, 
Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg's been very good defensively. Castile's in net has played very well. Our man, John Brooks, has been a defensive stalwart. And they find enough offense to get them these three points. And it comes up big. Fifth place side right now. Trying to stay up in that zone. Maybe see some European action. Get a little nice cash influx for the side. They missed out on it the past couple of years. They could uh, definitely look to make some big splashes coming up. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how these clubs, you know, strategize and plan with the window opening up as the season resumes in January. But we're going to move on to the leagues that are do have some action coming up in the next 48 hours. The Serie A had a really big week this past week. We saw some of the big names at the top continue their role of success. AC Milan netted a 2-1 victory over Sassuolo, mm -hmm. where Inter Milan got a 2-1 win over Spezio. Elsewhere, Juventus rolled Parma with a 4-0 victory. Cristiano Ronaldo netting, I believe, a brace. He got a brace. Alvaro Morata got two assists in the game. Yeah, and then he scored a late one, I know. The Atalanta-Roma game was an insane one, with Roma really holding off Atalanta for a good portion of that game, like 1-0, and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened, and Atalanta nets like four goals after the 55th. Well, off just cheeky interceptions of the back line. It was back line and goalie, just keeper, could not distribute get their the act ball. together. It was yeah. insane. And then Napoli dropped some points against Lazio. They fall 2-0. to nil. Got to say, I was surprised by that result. Napoli, I think, have been really in great form. Really, the, la the those last two matches surprised me. Lazio and Atalanta seem to have been struggling of late. Lazio barely getting out of their group stage. Yeah. I know they ended up in second, but, yeah, but they still it was have... a pretty weak group. Yeah, but it's Chiro Mobile. And Chiro Mobile getting a goal, and assist, and a yellow card in this game. Soccer's variation of the the little Gordy Hell hat trick there. Yeah, he had a great game and he's always a great player to count on, but Lazio's been struggling and Atalanta, you know, Papu Gomez their longtime captain, you know, really a legend of that club. Seems like he's demanding a move once out this January January after a huge falling out with the coach. I was shocked to see the team still rally and perform so well knowing that their captain and best player is struggling. Yeah, Gasparini and Papa Gomez had that really big blowout following their exodus from the European competition. and I, It seems irreparable. Yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, definitely tough. Lastly, we're going to move into, well... Not entirely lastly, but... Penultimately. Yeah, we're going to move into La Liga, where we saw Atletico Madrid maintain their impressive run of form with a 3-1 to -one victory over Aiche. And but, that moves them to top of the table, into the number one spot. Yeah, surpassing Real Sociedad. Barcelona seemed like they were going to finally get back on the horse, get a win there, but they end up dropping the late goal to Valencia. That game ends in a 2-2 two to -two draw. Leo Messi seems to really be getting frustrated with that side. I think it's understandably so, but 
I don't know. I wonder if we may see a move, may see a shakeup. I don't think, obviously, January. You're not going to see Leo Messi move in January. But if this continues, if the season continues to be disappointing, if we see a severe downturn in the form of the club and... Early European exit. Yeah, or, or even, you know... They were came into this week or came into this matchup in eighth place on the table. They draw, you know, so still dropping points where really they should be getting points. It 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 wouldn't be insane to see see them possibly out of European football. I mean, you know, right now Atletico, Sociedad, and Real are all playing quality football. Mm-hmm. Behind that, there's a bit of a cluster, and there is room for them to kind of get back to safety. But if this keeps up, and there hasn't really any been significant signs of it stopping, no. I, there could be some issues there, and I wonder if that could lead to a departure. But I'll move on. We did see Real Sociedad drop points this week. They or, or they lost to Levante two yes. to one. Bottom of the table, Levante gets the two to one victory against top of the table, Real Sociedad. It was a, an impressive performance by a side really kind of fighting desperately. I mean, that's what you do love about these leagues is there's just as much hunger at the bottom of the table as the top. We saw Osasana. Fall, and now they're basement dwellers down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. They lost three to one to Villarreal, fourth place Villarreal, and then lastly we saw Real win fairly comfortably four to one over Ibar. Real, it seems like after an early struggle or after early struggles and really a very close call in the Champions League. Seems like they're getting their sea legs. Seems like they're kind of starting to round out into this midseason form. Mm-hmm. They have the talent to do it, so we expect them to. Exactly. This isn't. We shouldn't be proud of them for this. This is no. where they should be. Yeah, absolutely. This should be expected. In the French league, we saw Lyon defeat Nice four to one. That takes them to the top of the table over our next fixture. Yeah, a very crowded top of the table where we saw Lille and PSG draw to a nil-nil finish. Again, leaving points on the table. Both clubs are going to be disappointed with that result, thinking they could had chances to steal the all three away from the other side. Instead, they'll split the points. And the real winners are Lyon, who see themselves leapfrog the teams in front of them and move up to the top of the table. A couple other storylines about the European leagues before we jump on over the pond here. Robert Lewandowski wins the FIFA Player of the Year award besting Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi becomes the first player to win the award that's not one of those two in several years. Yeah, I think it's 12, I want to say. Yeah, or something. Or it might be he might be the first one to win it twice. Does he win it twice now? Yeah, I think so. So I think it's the first one to win it twice that's not one of them. So I think Modric won it once and I think was it Neymar won it once? I don't know. I'm we're we're bad at doing our yeah. homework. We've never been good. We've no. never been good at our homework. But. I we did well. We didn't think we were going to talk about that particular point. We were going to 
Eh, Talk about going to jump jump away from it, but you know, Lewandowski, big ups to him, really impressive, arguably the best pure goal scorer in the world right now. Yeah, gotta love him. Hmm. I mean, part of me always hates him for forcing his move out of Dortmund, but eh, gotta love him. Okay. <laughs> he's joined as part of the best eleven with. Allison from Liverpool taking the goalkeeper spot. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Sergio Ramos. Virgil van Dijk and Alfonso Davies. That's the back line. Yeah, which, you know, no surprises really there. Some heavy Liverpool presence here, but that's to be expected given the year that they had last year. I mean, Absolutely. Purely dominant. Allison's really world-class. Trent Alexander-Arnold, too, out, out wide. I mean, real offensively and defensively is impeccable. Set-piece specialist. Yeah, Sergio Ramos has been a staple on this team for a decade, it feels like. Yeah, with Madrid, he's been... And, yeah, I mean, Alfonso Tavi's really the newcomer, the baby of the group, and it's curious to see if he's able to build upon that incredible campaign last year. And, I mean, he's got all the support system around him anybody could want. Yeah. Or if... He's going to maybe kind of flounder out a little bit, you know. Yeah. Not necessarily flounder, but... Sophomore slump. But exactly, when as a teenager you're being listed to the best team in the world, you know, best 11 in the world, it's hard to do that, you know, it's hard to do that every year. Yep. So, and if you're second and third year, you're not ranked the best in the world at your position, people might start using the regression word, which is insane to think about. But that's the level of expectations that comes with the performances that this kid has put up. But it's so far, he's done nothing but live up to the hype. In the midfield, it's really an impeccable trio. The Joshua Kimmich mm-hmm. from Bayern Munich, and then we have the Bayern to Liverpool connection here in the middle with Thiago Alcantara. The Spanish midfielder. Yeah, really getting recognition for his time on on Bayern Munich. Really has been injured and hasn't made much of an impact on this Liverpool side since his big transfer over the summer. But his play last year certainly earns himself a spot there. Absolutely. And then lastly, we have the king of the Premier League, Kevin De Bruyne, the Belgian international. I think at this point the best... Pound complete for pound, midfielder. Complete midfielder in yeah, the world. I, I, he agree. can play box to box. He could drop back when he needs to. Going forward, there's nobody better. Either he's gonna, whether he's going to distribute it or wind up and take it himself. I mean, just world class. Good on the set piece. Good on the spot. Good on corners. Really not a bad spot for him. The front three, they're all names you know. It's... Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, and Cristiano Ronaldo. An attacking force that is just, I mean, it's incredible. Between the three of them, the goal production, the offensive prowess that each of them display, both in front of net, 30 yards out, it's all, it's all been crazy. But... Speaking of crazy news, we have to talk about uh, a kind of an upsetting issue for us here at Balls Over the Top, a, kind of a, a fan favorite, a, a name that we know and recognize and 
enjoy. Quincy Proms has been released from holding, but is facing charges in relationship to a stabbing event that happened at a family gathering hosted by him. Uh, he is no longer uh, going to be participating in any, any IAX games for the foreseeable future. Uh, we will see how this legal case plays out. But Quincy Proms, a uh, promising attacking midfielder for Ajax, a Dutch international attacking midfielder. I mean, he's quite the talent. He's got lightning speed. He's good on the dribble. He's got a heck of a shot on him. But yeah, he's coming up with allegations, charges being pressed against him in relationship to a stabbing incident. It's pretty insane. You know, this is obviously a very talented player. player who's a lot of fun to watch. And to be tied to, really, a pretty heinous, horrifying, violent criminal-type behavior, maybe going to prison for a very long time-type crime, is shocking. I mean, we normally don't see, you know, it's like O.J. Simpson-esque. We normally don't see these kinds of violent crime, especially in soccer. It's just not... It's typically like DUIs. Yeah, or at least like tax evasion, you know? <laughs> exactly, man. The last bit of news we have here in world football headlines before we bounce over the pond here is Dominic Sabazali, the Hungarian forward who's just been tons of fun to watch. Absolutely. He's been... Absolutely electric on the ball. He's tall. He's got amazing dribbling for his size. His and he, speed is impressive. He's making a move from one Red Bull to the other. Yes. Coming from Red Bull Salzburg. In the Austrian Football League. To Red Bull Leipzig in the German Football League. As a matter of fact, in the Austrian Bundesliga to the German Bundesliga. Yeah. It's going to be a really tough change for him. Whole bunch of whole bunch of new faces that he's going to wind up running into. So it will be interesting to see. But we can move over to the MLS and in a little bit of sad local union news, Tommy Smith is getting replaced as the union's broadcast announcer. Tommy Smith was a charming old English pundit. He He's really been the heart and the voice of the union broadcasts since their inception. Ton of fun, gives us great lines, gives us great commentary. A very passionate. The old onion bag. Yeah, or, or and all that pass had a lot of jizz on it. You know. Yeah, he was he was a he was classic. a gem. He was a gem, and we're gonna miss him on our broadcast. Certainly gonna make the week to week broadcasts a lot less fun, but we'll still be able to hear him. He's not going away for good. He will still be heard on his weekly. Serious XM radio show Saturdays at 9 a.m. where I'm sure he will still give us some of his gems both on and off the pitch. I mean, he's not on the pitch. He's old as yeah. anything. But you get my point. Yeah, from observing the pitch to just his, his desk pundancy, he's, he's always going to be uh, fun to talk about. Speaking of things that are old as time, Kyle Beckerman. 
announces his retirement from the MLS. Really an all-time league great. Made his imprint on the men's national team. I mean, wasn't the most successful time for the men's national team, but he was certainly a staple yep. on those sides for quite a while. An impressive box-to-box midfielder. Yep, and, you know, if... I think it's trending that way, but, you know, if 30, 40 years from now the MLS is still around, Kyle Beckerman's going to be one of those ones who's really looked at as one of the founding fathers of the MLS, uh, who helped transform the league from what it was 10 years ago, five years ago, to what it is today, and that's night and day, the difference there. And made Rail Salt Lake a very competitive team in its expansion. Exactly. So, you know, props to Kyle Beckerman, MLS legend. Dumb hair, though. Yeah, I never liked it. Never never was a fan of the white cover dreads, but say la vie. We see Atlanta United replace former manager Frank DeBoer with Gabriel Heinz. Yes. This is a big signing. I mean, Frank DeBoer leaves some big shoes to fill. Yes. Came in and not only put Atlanta United on the map, but came in, you know, announced themselves. Yes. Really really put them on the map as one of the giants in the MLS. Matter of fact, this is the first year that we're really not seeing them or that we didn't see them as a powerhouse since their inception. I mean, and they, for a lot of reasons, can thank Frank DeBoer for that. So, uh, but new manager inherits a little bit of a handful. This is a club that's kind of lacking direction they made some big sell sales after their inaugural season and the following season afterwards, which was also very successful. And it's like they're going to have to find themselves some talent. Yeah, but this Gabriel Hines coming in, he's taken his uh, Argentina football club to a third-place finish in the past couple seasons. He was drawing attention for Europe. He was a pretty highly coveted signing, but there was... Really no surprise in him making this Atlanta move. It's a, it's another chance for him to put on display his managerial ability. And who knows, maybe the MLS will also be a feeder, le- feeder league for managers. Exactly. Well, and speaking of MLS being a feeder league, we're seeing some major offers coming in for FC Dallas's Brian Reynolds, including from some of the Italian giants. Both Juventus and Roma have made some Pretty eye-popping offers, at least as far as MLS standards are concerned. And we could see another record transfer, at least especially a club record transfer, coming in the MLS sooner rather than later. Brian Reynolds could become another player making the jump from the North American soccer over to Europe. Yes, what, what many consider like the world stage. Yeah, I mean, again, Italy, too, is really a coming-out party over there. I mean, it's make or break. You're playing with the big boys. It's it's You can get to go from being a big fish in a small pond to, you know, being a little fish in the ocean. So yes. definitely something to keep an eye on. We'll keep an eye on that move if anything happens, you know, especially with the European transfer windows opening up in just about a week and a half. 
Yes. And with all endings, there are also beginnings. And this beginning is FC Austin joins the league, and they make five selections in hey, this expansion draft. all right, all right, all right. Yes. Co-owned by Matthew McConaughey. Yes. Austin's son, Matthew McConaughey, wanting to bring sport there other than football. Hey. All right, all right, all right. All right, I'm done. So, they'll be fun to keep an eye on. I actually really did think their kits were sick. I saw him reveal them on Scott Van Pelt. Really sharp-looking stuff. Looking forward to seeing if they can actually perform in them, you know. But never a big fan of the state of Texas in general, so I'm kind of going to be rooting against them. But not Dallas. It is true. Or, and there's also Houston, right? The Dynamo are down there. Uh-huh. Jeez, Texas. Let's save some teams for the rest of the country. I mean, it is in the south, and it is very low on the equator and the border. And I think soccer just gets more popular the, the closer yeah. you get. I know. I'm just, I'm just being... Hey, I'm just giving you a hard time. Just giving you a hard time. So it'll be exciting to see... how they play. I just like how they play. Lincoln. So FC Austin does make a few picks in the expansion draft. They get Danny Hosen from San Jose, Jared Stroud from the Red Bulls, Brady Scott from Nashville. Wow, what a name. Joe Corona from the Galaxy and Kamal Miller from Orlando City. Some exciting players to build around. It'll be interesting to see what they do from there. Well, everybody except Kamal Miller, because Kamal Miller was already on the move. He got moved to the Impact and is now given back to FC Austin in Cash Considerations, our favorite player. Hey, Cash Considerations, you gotta love him. Never disappoints. Yeah, he's he's, (laughs) he's welcome in the clubhouse. Always comes through. Uh, well, we can jump to other North American leagues. The NBA, it's back. And really one of the biggest talking points of it is James Harden didn't find a trade yet. Yeah, I mean, a lot of crying and pounding his fist for a lot of nothing to happen so far. Curious to see where he ends up. But Houston is moving on with or without him. You know, their new shiny new toy, or it's not really a new toy. It's like their shiny, certified pre-owned, minor accident history, 2007 Toyota Corolla, John Wall. Hey, he's better than a Toyota Corolla. That was rude. Yeah, no, he's like the super sport Corolla. Like the, like, top package Corolla. He's like a Subaru WRX. Yeah. So they're looking pretty good with John Wall coming back on the court. He's actually looked pretty decent. Yeah. I don't want to say look like John Wall of old yet, but yeah. definitely showing those signs. And Harden kind of looked like cheeseburger Harden. And I think the biggest question mark with that team is, you know, if Harden decided to play and if Boogie Cousins could get it together, you could have a formidable big three there all of a sudden. If you know, Now, granted, these are two big ifs. Talking about Boogie Cousins and John Wall both recovering from catastrophic quasi-career-ending injuries and returning to all-star form in their mid-30s. But 
That's not impossible. No. It's something to keep an eye on, and as we keep an eye on the potential James Harden, Carmen Sandiego, where's he going to go? Elsewhere, we look at Adam Silver coming out and giving an update on the NBA as far as where they're at on this restart. Yes, we know the restart is happening. We have games tomorrow. Exciting. Always happy to have another sport on the table, have more lines to look at. But Adam Silver giving updates on really the big picture, talking about maybe an expansion for the league, adding a team or two. You know, we're seeing the NHL going up to 32 teams, meeting where the NFL's at. We're seeing the MLS constantly moving and, and growing. We're seeing the, you know, baseball even considering it. We're seeing football considering it with, you know, even talks of Toronto or, or even a London team at some point in the next decade. So you got to imagine this was in the cards at some point, and I think it wouldn't be a bad idea, especially if they're talking about expanding the play-in tournaments, mm-hmm. play, uh, you know, talking about tinkering with the structure to maybe add value to some of the regular season games or to some matchups beyond the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, of course, talking about vaccines, getting fans back in the stands and all of the logistics that come with that. I do have to say I like listening when Adam Silver speaks out of all of the G or not GMs, commissioners of the major sports leagues here in North America. I feel like Adam Silver is most in, most in line with what the fans want, what the players' needs and wants are, and trying to find a middle ground both efficiently and in a way that doesn't lead to major turmoil. I mean, even with all of the racial uproar going on and... and even you know, within the NBA. With- and the social justice battles going on there... You know, that's a very difficult line for him to navigate, and yet here we are. The NBA already back in action with the NHL dragging their feet, with the MLS not necessarily having a solid return-to-play format for next season, with the NFL kind of being all over the map. Adam Silver seems like he's got all of his ducks in a row, and i got to give him credit for that. He has at least a plan to keep moving the NBA forward, and I, I think it was really interesting when he was talking about the expansion. He was talking about how for an for any league, it's kind of a manifest destiny to look at small markets, but what I found even more interesting was the fact that this shutdown and pandemic gave them more time to even look at it and have them considering the future and using the downtime to look at the possible expansions. I thought that was really interesting. Just a smart tactic. I mean, if you're shut down and you can't come up with a plan for right now, you should be planning for the future. Might as well plan for something. Exactly. And have it, you know, maybe help expand that vision beyond what seems to be a very cloudy 2020 and at least for now 2021. But it seems like Adam Silver might have his hands full right now. Granted, this isn't exactly a matter that would necessarily find its way to the commissioner's desk quite yet, but there are some rumblings. A Black Lives Matter advocacy group in Michigan paid for a full ad for the Pistons owners, demanding the Pistons owners' sale of the franchise. Their owner, Tom Gores 
owns Securus Technology, which helps to secure the pricing for inmates throughout the country. I mean, yeah. not all of them everywhere, but uh, they're um, contracted with a large number of prisons and you know jails. And they and, would be Comcast Internet type. Exactly, size. it's right up there. They they are on your borderline monopolize the industry. Right. But the, if not monopolize, they're one of the pillars of the industry. Absolutely. And they believe, you know, this group is demanding his sale of the team because they think he unjustly or disproportionately profits off of incarcerated persons by price gouging, essentially. The their phone services charging sometimes fourteen fifteen dollars a minute, which is absurd. Yeah. I mean, well, it's that's crazy. like nineteen eighties cell phone costs, and this is for I mean phone calls, even secure lines, and and I understand there may be additional precautions that need to be made, considering the circumstances, or maybe there's confidential things going on, or maybe there needs to be an extra line of security or or, or monitoring, monitoring or yeah. exactly i i'm not denying that this maybe is a premium service beyond your basic run-of-the-mill phone calls but the fact that it's a price gouge to that level especially targeting a person who is already in a position where they're not able to provide for themselves where they're fighting the system and every capacity and, and this cost you know, this expense moves on to the family of the person incarcerated exactly and so in addition to whatever maybe expenses are going on into whatever legal battles or appeals or you name it i mean it's understandable why this group is making this you know correlation and, and maybe demanding the sale i think i would now again, every maybe the the demand of this sale should be a part of this, but I think I would be maybe trying to focus more on seeing if there would be a way to overhaul that system and fix it in a way where yes, the company that is providing the good or service is still able to make a decent profit margin and operate and as a you know yeah. capitalist business, but also. One that is not disenfranchising the people who are already disenfranchised, yeah. you know what I mean? And so... It's crazy to think that their rates are surpassing those of, you know, like prepaid phone plans. Exactly. I mean, there, there's no way that this price point is reasonable. And so for that, I understand whether or not this is the type of thing that they could actually get any traction with. I don't know. By no means is he violating any of his agreements with the league. In order to have acquired the team, he needed to get approval from all of the owners, which he got in order to have him renounce the team in any sort of forceful capacity you would need an overwhelming majority of ownership i think it's like something like over 80 percent of owners would need to vote in favor you know yeah. it's just the who type of thing where billionaires who are not going to who are just they're not going to do that to another you know well and, and there are plenty of shady and unfortunately yeah. bad industries that take advantage of people that were, were you know yeah screw over the, the, the everyman right. uh, that I'm sure NBA owners have profited off of. So, I, like, I'm not trying to justify this, by the way. I'm not, I'm not throwing my support 
you know, behind no. this. We're just talking about it. It's it's noteworthy. Yeah, it's but something to talk about. I, I don't know if it's the type of thing that could end up on Adam Silver's desk, but it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And yeah. obviously, it is a slight, or maybe bigger than slight, but it is a slight black mark on the you know league's record and. That's the type of you know, or you could you know, it's a small fire, but Adam Silver doesn't like small fires. No. They can they could turn into big fires. They can always get bigger. But we can move to the other wintertime league, the NHL. They have a return to play plan. Woohoo! They've finally done it. They have an idea of what they're doing. We got fifty six games beginning on January thirteenth. And for the seven teams that were out of the playoffs this year, they begin camp December 30th. For everybody else, it begins January 3rd. Unfortunately, though, we're going to be missing some pretty big, you know, faces of the league this year. Henrik Lundqvist announces his retirement. He announced it via Instagram and Twitter and the social well, media. I will say, unless your inside source on the Rangers, your girlfriend's stepdad, has some news that I don't, I did not hear it's an official retirement. I did hear he say he will not play this upcoming season. He is leaving the door open for the possibility to return the following year if the, if the, you know, if there's some sort of he, – he is medically cleared or, or whatever, you know, if they run further tests and they deem it's not any immediate risk for him to return to the ice, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I believe every player, especially one with a storied career like the King, like Henrik Lundqvist, wants to go out on their own terms. And if given the opportunity, he will do that. So everything I've seen is said just this season, but – Saying a retirement isn't necessarily outrageous, or again, maybe it's just strategic as far as the set navigating the salary cap and long-term injury reserve. The player says they're retired compared to as a player just continues to say that they're injured. There are ways for the team to navigate the cap then. So, you know, maybe it's just for that technicality. But if you you know if you're a Henrik Lundqvist fan, which I am, even despite our Flyers fanhood and and how he's burned us over the years. Holding out a little bit of hope he may uh, grace grace us with his presence at least one more time. We also saw Alexander Steen, who really rose to prominence at the St. Louis Blues, unfortunately having to announce his retirement due to injury. It's always a shame to see a career cut short. We're no strangers to this here in Philadelphia. Yeah, Chris Pronger. Exactly, that's who comes Eric to mind. Even guys like Simone Gagne or Keith Primo, you know, mm-hmm. those those head injuries are brutal. Eric Lindros. So it's a shame we won't see Alexander Steen. Ends with a solid career, though. Respectable player. Again, shame to see those guys not being able to go out on their own terms. We do see elsewhere, though, a little bit of positive news. At least it is for... One individual. Yeah. Anthony Duclair's got 1.7 million reasons to be happy. Is he just signed a one-year deal with the Carolina Panthers? A little bit of a prove-it deal. I mean, Duclair's a young prospect still. He's got a lot of time in yeah. front of him. He, he could... was named to the All-Star game, though. Exactly. And so 
the fact that it's just a one-year deal at $1.7 million, it seems like a great deal for the Panthers, getting a young player of that caliber at that rate. But also, again, Duclair kind of gambling on himself here, maybe turning down a little bit less money, a little bit more security to bet on himself. Get some play time. Try and perform that same way again and, you know, maybe lock up that long-term big-money contract that he's looking for. I think teams are a little bit hesitant to spend that kind of big money right now considering the financial implications and the unknown long-term financial implications of this COVID-19 crisis. And so hopefully for Declare he can overperform again this season and continue to shine and earn himself some some money to go along with the 1.7 big ones he just put away. Absolutely. A couple of oddball things we wanted to talk about, though, as we move on from hockey there. Tiger Woods and his son Charlie shined this past weekend at the PNC Father-Son Championship. First time that the world really got to see Charlie in action. He's only 11 years old. Tiger's oldest son, though, he's got a heck of a swing on him. He's, he's like a copy-paste. It was really fun to watch. Uh, it looked like the two of them were having an absolute ball together. I mean, it's really the most fun I've seen Tiger Woods have in ages. And, you know, I don't want to jinx anything. I mean, obviously, and I'm, I, I don't want to imply also that anything's mental. But, you know, we didn't see Tiger wincing and grabbing his back and pulling up after shots. I mean, he seemed like a to- seemed 20 years younger yeah. when he was out there with his son. And so, you know... I wouldn't imply that the injuries are fake or the injuries are in his head, but I do think that when you're... Feeling good, you just continue to kind of feel good? Yes, but also I think when you're stressing about an injury or thinking about an injury, it's hurting. Like, I don't know how else to, like, you know... It's like, oh, you ever think about how much your forehead itches sometimes, and then everybody's like, oh, shit, my forehead itches. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like How it, heavy you know, your tongue is in it, your it, mouth? It's like, you know, Tiger Woods sitting there going, oh, I really hope I can get through this full weekend of games without my back acting up before the first hole. Wouldn't shock me if then hole six, oh, wow, my back's starting to get stiff. You know what I mean? It's just like that becomes your focus, where here it seemed like he was more excited about everything Charlie was doing. You know, Charlie notches his first eagle. Unbelievable. Uh, lands it on the green with the second shot. Unreal. Just like, whoa, this kid's 11. Like it was, and he looped it around a tree. It was unreal. Like, and yet Tiger was ecstatic. And so, you know, not to take anything away from the kid, but I think we're going to have a lot to give that kid to talk about over the next 30 years. Yeah. I'm interested to see how Charlie's bursting onto the scene impacts the rest of this season for Tiger Woods. Yeah, I think it'll give him a boost. I think it made it fun again. Uh, What's even more fun is league mergers because Major League Lacrosse and Premier Lacrosse League enter into a merger, see a, a wide expansion of teams. Hopefully there's a good competitive balance. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm not going to even pretend I know about this. We saw this. You brought it to my attention. So we figured we'd mention it. I mean, again, it perfectly falls into the oddball section we like to bring up once in a while. But I've never actually, I, I shouldn't say I've never lived through a merger, even though I may, I actually don't, don't know if I have lived through a significant merger. You know, 
it was interesting to look at. I started to look into some of the logistics and how they do this. And I got to say, I feel like I would be so bummed if I was one of the few teams on each side that was just like, yeah, you're not in it. Like, like I couldn't imagine. Like, like there are teams that I was reading the article where it was like Salt Lake City's team. They were just like, yeah, no, you're done. You're well, well, what do you mean? We were in the league last week. Yep. <laughs> Not anymore. You know, no, these new guys came in. We like them way better. Like, it's just unbelievable to me. And I, I you know, that's something I guess you never hear about. No. Because, you well, know. Well, I mean, it is, it is the plot to the movie Semi-Pro. It is. It is the plot to the movie Semi-Pro. You know, you, but that's the thing is you don't hear about the Flint Tropics. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. after the fact... When you're sitting there and we look back and it's like, oh, wow, you know, they were an ABA team. You know, oh, they came on over. Oh, good for them. Or, oh, the Raiders came from the AFL. Oh, they were the fir- first AFL team to go to the Super Bowl. You know, whatever. it wasn't the Raiders, but still, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they don't tell you about the, like, you know, who gives a shit, uh, you know, like the... Yeah. <laughs> The 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 St. Louis Rough Riders who yeah. who stopped existing after that year like like it just yeah. blows my mind. Like how many people it's... remember like the uh, like the San Diego Seals? Exactly, the Seals are are practically forgotten and they're they're a trivia footnote. Yeah, you know, and so it's funny hearing about how the you know. It's the dark side of an expansion. You said, "Who doesn't like an exp- Who doesn't like a merger?" Rather, I can think of a couple yeah, teams. Yeah, couple teams. Couple teams are a little sad. Um, speaking of a merger, Canelo Alvarez beat Caleb Smith this past weekend. Again, something I'm not even going to pretend I know about. There's so many no. belts. There's so many organizations. There's so many weight classes. Yeah. There's so much going on in the sport of boxing. I'm finally getting my feet wet with the UFC, as we both, I think, have been finally getting more comfortable in that space. Yeah. But, you know, Canelo Alvarez right now is one of the biggest, one of the best Prince money, this kid. I said speaking of mergers because I know he's trying to unify the belts. He's trying to unify the titles, and that's a big deal. And this match this past weekend against Caleb Smith was a big first step in that. Canelo just keeps rolling. Good for him. Yeah. It's going to be fun to keep an eye on. I'm never going to pay-per-view it. I'm probably hardly ever going to watch it. And I'll keep on following it and basing most of my opinions on... On clips from Twitter. Clips from Twitter and what PTI guys have to say about it and they some other ESPN programming yeah. where people who are smarter on that aspect break it down for me. But, you know... Boxing, I think, is almost gone by the wayside. I think UFC has got so much more going on. Mm-hmm. And if you're into combat sport... It's also just easier because it's kind of one thing to follow. Like, the UFC just has enough regularly scheduled programming that you can continually watch it semi-regularly on just regular channels. It's easy enough to follow. You can You can put it together. Whereas, like, boxing, as you said, there's, like so many different belts you can get exactly like who's got who's got time to follow them all because they're all like independently contracted guys doing fights and jumping around it's not like they're you know 
in a league type situation. We're going to round things out in this oddball section with a story that's been fascinating me for many months now. I mean, really, since the tragedy of George Floyd's passing, we try not to get too political here, and we'll do our best to not get too political in this segment. But it is a kind of politically tied story here. The Atlanta Dream, a WNBA team based out of Atlanta, obviously, are owned by Senator Kelly Loeffler, who is the wealthiest member of the Senate. She's actually been involved in a couple of scandals because of that, because her husband is the president of NASDAQ. She made a couple of questionable stock sales once some private COVID information was made available to Senate. So, you know, she's got her own issues to deal with also has never really been elected, was appointed to her seat. So it's not even like this is somebody that carries a lot of popularity in the state. You know, if somebody wins an election by over 50%, you argue at least half the people like them. Uh They're appointed to a seat. They didn't actually win anything. So even amongst their supporters, the jury's still out. But I bring her up and on a sports podcast, only because, like I said, owner of the Atlanta Dream WNBA team and, you know, senator running for re-election who owns a sports franchise, you think that's a great opportunity for campaigning. Well, the team has been campaigning, but for Loeffler's opponent, Loeffler's running against Reverend Ralph Warnock, who is a reverend from the church where Martin Luther King Jr. was the reverend. Hmm. Again, who the team is also named after being the Atlanta Dream. Hmm. And following the tragic death of George Floyd, Kelly Loeffler came out and basically said that Black Lives Matter was a terrorist group, that there is no police brutality, that we should be focusing more on supporting the police and not the rioters, that we should be, you know, basically there's no such thing as systematic racism or systematic oppression or a racially biased policing or any of the above. Hmm. And strangely, her team didn't take too kindly to that. Ever since those days, her... Players started, you know, again, outwardly campaigning for her opponent, doing their best to try and get their owner fired from her job in the U.S. Senate. Really a fascinating story to watch. I mean, you know, when her players wanted to do a a Black Lives Matter demonstration before the game, she threatened them and, you know told them they should just shut up and play the game like she pays them to do. And, I mean, it's just the divide between the players and and the ownership is getting larger and larger. Some of the players have petitioned the WNBA to force Loeffler into selling her stake in the team. I mean, kind of similar to our last topic with regards to the Pistons owner. Yeah. The question is, well, is she actually doing anything that can warrant forced to sale. I mean, there's a whole bunch of 
aspects of this story that just make it really meaty and, and interesting to keep an eye on. And I imagine it's only going to get more and more prominent as we ramp up for that January 5th runoff election. Yeah, it will It will definitely get very interesting. Which, that's the last thing we're going to say on that. But I will say, if we do have any listeners in Georgia, we encourage you to get out there and vote. Every yes. vote counts, especially in a runoff election. A lot of people don't even know what those kinds of things are. They don't know when they are. It's not, yeah. it doesn't carry the same sexiness that right. a presidential election carries. I will but, say, unless it's sketch. Um, the sketch, if you're listening to this in Georgia, stay home. Yeah, it don't, we don't want you to vote. I want you to vote. Not, by the way, not because we think we know who you'd vote for. No, just because we think, we think your felonous crime should mean you are not allowed to vote anymore. Yeah, we, we're we know, not going to bring it up on air. Yeah, but we know what we, we know what you did. We know what you did. Moving on to baseball. Yeah, speaking of sketch, baseball. A couple of just housekeeping notes here as we are kind of in the midst of a baseball offseason, a pretty boring one at that, again, with the money issues going on, with kind of a lack of understanding of what this season's going to hold, with the entire minor league system in limbo, with everyone's payrolls up in the air, with players opting out and certain contract years accruing or not accruing. Nobody really cares that much. It's baseball. They'll figure it out. Or they won't. Yep. The Rays re-signed catcher Mike Zunino to a one-year deal, including an option. It was a solid piece to their team last year that made it to the World Series, and they'll be happy to bring him back. Got him on a deal that they like on his side of it. He gets, again, one of those one-year try-em deals. Mm -hmm. If he gets to perform the same way he did last year, kind of... Finds that same shine he did, especially as they made that run for the playoffs. He could find himself on an, you know, every day as an everyday catcher, yeah. uh, really on a team that does actually pay their players, yes. as opposed to the Rays who just pay them in meals and laundry. They yes. do their laundry. Elsewhere, we saw the Cleveland baseball team. We're going to change them to that. You know, really taking a page out of the Washington book. Decided they are going to drop the Indians moniker, but eh, at the end of next year. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, apparently, as we saw with Washington, these teams just are totally blindsided by this. They they couldn't have imagined having to change their name. What, what do you mean it's insensitive? What? Since when? Like, I mean, so, so these teams, despite decades, yeah. literal decades... Of people demanding they change their name didn't have any form of a plan B. They had nothing. They had no envelope that was sealed with the word confidential stamped on it. Open. Wax in, sealed. In case of emergency. Open. No. Nothing. They don't have a firm on hand that they could pay a fraction of one of their players' salaries to come up and focus group a name. No. None of that. We're just going to drop it, but... We'll give all of our super terrible, awful Ohioans a chance to revel in their racism and ignorance for one more year while we keep the most atrocious mascot in the league, Cheap Wahoo. Go for it. Knock your socks off. You know what, Cleveland? You guys are a joke, and if it keeps you off of meth for just a little bit longer, then I support it. I guess, man. I will say, though, I do think Chief Wahoo's adorable. I know it's racist. I just I I find him adorable. 
It's the big eyes. It's the big eyes. It's like, oh, it makes me, it makes me soft. I mean, it's valid, I, I guess. In a cartoonish... It, the cartoon and animation style, I guess you could argue, was meant to be a... I mean, but it was like meant to be a cool mascot, and I feel like mascots, if they're doing their job right, are endearing just visually. Yeah. So... That's all I'll say about that. Elsewhere, we saw the MLB payroll dropped $1.5 billion during the 2020 pandy-shortened season. Major drop could be, be attributed to, you know, less games. A lot of those players, their salaries are now being prorated out. A lot of players opted out. They lose their money. A lot of teams fired not only, you know, major amounts of front staff people, but even a lot of their talents, some of the teams dropping broadcast crews, production crews. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the effects of this virus and this pandemic are being felt all throughout baseball from the top-tier players all the way through the minor leagues and groundskeepers and everything in between. Absolutely. It is, uh, it is a sharp decline. Um, I mean, it's still in the billions of dollars. Players still really got their bag, but it's been a uh, a drop-off for sure. Charlie Montonio says Toronto is having trouble with free agents, mostly because they can't tell the players if they're going to be playing in Toronto this season. Obviously, with this pandemic, we still have travel restrictions going to Canada. Uh, it's it's tough for these teams. They uh, they don't know where they're going to be playing, cause cause a little bit of issues for them. I mean, I get the concern. I understand, and, and the mystery would affect the players. I also though think it's a little bit outrageous on both sides of that. I mean, one the fact that Major League Baseball doesn't have an answer to this or a contingency plan, even if it means hey, you guys are gonna you know, bubble up in Buffalo, New York, or, hey, you're going to, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. or even bubble up in Toronto, or, or the fact that even the governments can't make an exception for this. I know that sounds goofy for the governments to make an exception for sport, but all over the map and all over the board, we see governments making exceptions well, for sport. Well, also, if they have, like, a chartered plane and they're just going exactly for the one thing. But even then, like I said, all over the map and all over the board, we see exceptions for sport. You know, countries and counties and areas that have restrictions on how many people can be in a building, and then they still allow it for football games. I mean, yeah, we did see San Francisco put their foot down and and say, you know, the Niners couldn't play their home games, but we're not really seeing it on a wide scale, and I feel like considering there's only one baseball team that's outside of the States, there could be a middle ground here. But even if there's not, I find it pretty crazy that that would impact a player's decision here. Players are multi-million dollar athletes. Granted, if it's just a one-year deal, maybe that I would understand. But mm-hmm. players signing for any period of time should be understanding, hey, it's a pandemic. I understand that there are sacrifices or, you know. Right, but those big those big free agents isn't what they're trying to target right now in Toronto. They're trying to get their team together and exactly you know picking up the bargain bin guys go get going and getting guys like Mikel franco or freddie galvis who were everyday or, or you know rotational guys on some mlb rosters but aren't working out as planned so they end up on the open marketplace for a, a deal but yeah for scraps you know it's something to consider i i just like i said i'm a little bit surprised that players 
given that it's just really, you know, a lot of them don't even live or relocate their families to where these teams are during the season and they do their own thing that way, like, I just am surprised that they're having as significant of an issue as he's implying. Don Mattingly says that he feels the league needs more action, which I don't know if I would disagree with him on, but it feels like the league has been doing everything in their power without pissing off the old heads to try and make that happen. You see them adding pitch clocks and stuff to make the game go faster. You see them putting in the rules that make pitchers face multiple batters, relief pitchers, so as to prevent the insane pitching batters duels that were taking place with like nine pitchers per inning, you mm-hmm. know. They're doing what they can. Even this the second base base runner in extra innings was yeah. an exciting. The seven touch. game uh, seven inning doubleheaders. Yeah, I mean, but it seems like inherently by nature of the sport, baseball's not that exciting. I mean, even when I'm putting a boatload of money on the games and started to know who the pitchers are and what hitters have been hot and this and that, there's still a, a ceiling on the excitement level for a baseball game that just doesn't match the intensity of basketball, football, hockey, soccer. I mean, I'm not trying to come after the sport of baseball here, but I'm more just critiquing Don Mattingly's criticism. I I think he's right. I think, I mean, this past season we saw a 7% increase on plays that ended in either a, uh, or at-bats that ended, rather, in a home run or a strikeout or a walk. And those are the the boring plays. I mean, home runs are fun because, you know, the base is clear and whatever. Ball goes far. Crack of the bat. But for the the action of the game, the, you know, the base running coming into play and, you know, base runners having to be smart about their positioning and those interesting scenarios that happen in baseball have been decreasing in rate. And I think that's frustrating for a lot of baseball fans. And I think it's, you know, I think it's getting to Don Mattingly too. I think this past season was really troublesome for him. Yeah, you know, Don Mattingly, what he says carries some weight in the league. And, and, you know, I understand what he's complaining about, but I also feel as though the it's hard to complain about teams and players adjusting their play style. Like, saying that there are more walks, strikeouts, and home runs is like him being like, well, and just last year alone, running plays went up 15% in the NFL. And it's like, okay, but running plays aren't illegal or wrong or maybe they're less exciting. Yeah, debatably a five-yard run is way less exciting than whatever Houdini play Patrick Mahomes is going to pull out of his rear end you know what I mean but like to imply that the game is getting worse in any capacity or less appealing because it's shifting more toward the run in that hypothetical scenario is kind of outrageous because you're it's still like like an argument maybe against something like the shift I think is a lot more even though the shift also is still legal (laughs) um and that the action that that takes away from the game is more legitimate than criticism of teams that are recognizing the advantage of 
power strikeout ratios and walk rates and, you know, the value of taking a walk in certain... Like, uh, uh, maybe I'm just being nitpicky here, but... No, I, and I, I do... I see the strategy of it. I just think that there are ways to disincentivize that as the, the pinnacle strategy. I mean, I agreed, but I, I have no problem with it as the pinnacle strategy. Like, there are ways to discourage running as the pinnacle strategy in football. And I think you could argue they've done that with the pass interference, you know, oh, for sure. improvements and, and the different changes that they made, the protections of the quarterback, etc. But, like, I don't have an issue with I I get maybe what they're saying where it's more boring and, and maybe if there were more creative ways to, again, maybe incentivize more offensive play and getting the ball in play and what have you. But, like... I think that home runs, walks, and strikeouts are all very exciting aspects of the game in their own right. I mean, a walk and putting a runner on base is huge. Strikeouts are incredibly significant on the defensive side of things, and home runs the most exciting offensive play in the game. And so, like, oh, yeah, I just think I think I think balance is good for the game. Yeah, I, I feel you there, and you know. It'll be interesting to see how that trends. But we will wrap things up here with the National Football League, and it was a doozy. Crazy week. Of a week. And we'll start with uh, the biggest headline coming out of New York. And no, we're not talking about the Giants. Nope. New York Jets got their first win of the season. Big win for them. Over a upsetting good... the Los Angeles Rams yeah. and upsetting me quite a bit because I lost a lot of money on that game. But I digress. The Jets had a pretty impressive game. I mean, they were really up from early, and they just held it wire to wire. The offense looked solid. Frank Gore securing the win, getting the final first down needed. All-time great. All-time legend. Three and a half, Frank, three and a half yards per carry Gore. Yep. Getting the job done. Philadelphia Eagles legend, Frank Gore. Downside for the Jets, though, is they might have lost out on their best shot of landing Trevor Lawrence. Now, the Jets lose the tiebreaker with the Jaguars, or you could argue they win the tiebreaker with the Jaguars, meaning the Jets have the better record, so therefore would be awarded the second pick in the draft if the season ended today. Understand that's a big deal. You know, some people may say, oh, what's the deal? They get the second pick now and they don't have a winless season. Yeah, but second pick can be boom or bust. I mean, granted, both of them ended up being hurt and not sticking around for long. But, you know, second pick is the difference between Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III. You know, it's the difference between Peyton Manning and Tim Couch. You know what I mean? It, it's, there's... No, there are times the second player outperforms the first one as well. You know, I mean, Donovan McNabb was better than Ryan Leaf, you know. By a lot. But overall, this could be a win that the effects of which are felt by this franchise for a decade or more. Well, it's a big difference if you're coming into a coaching situation where you think you're coaching Trevor Lawrence possibly and you wind up coaching Sam Darnold instead. Yeah, I mean, maybe they would get, was it Justin Fields? Mm-hmm. You know. There's other promising. names in the draft. Yeah, but it's it's still, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the 
crown jewel of exactly. this draft. Exactly. Elsewhere, we saw the Tennessee Titans get a pretty solid win against the Detroit Lions. A little bit closer than they would have liked at some points in the second half because king of garbage time Matt Stafford has a tendency to just keep his team lingering around. That's how he accrues all those stats. But the big headline out of that is Derrick Henry continues his dominance. Derrick Henry is likely going to finish this year the second consecutive rushing title. First player to repeat rushing titles, I believe, since Adrian Peterson. And... He's approaching 2,000 yards on the season. I believe he's about 300 yards and some change away from getting it. we got two games left in the season, so we would need to have some pretty solid performances in both. But He's also Derrick Henry. Exactly. A 2,000-yard season, rather, is an incredible achievement. Absolute feat. I know Chris Johnson did it just a few years ago for the Titans, which is pretty unbelievable to think that the Titans would have had, I believe, the two most recent 2,000-yard rushers again. Peterson might have been in between. Been in between, yeah. But it's it's an incredible feat, and it's well deserved. Derrick Henry has been dominant the last few years and shows no signs of slowing down. Excited to see if how how that chase goes. If he's able to pull it out. If the Titans end up kind of, you know, trying to feed him to to help him facilitate it or not. You know, as a team, I'd always wonder if how I'd want to do that. Do you want to help your player break any forms of records? Because you know as soon as that contract time comes around, you're going to be paying for it. Yeah, you're going to be paying for the record holder. But we saw another couple of really good games. Absolutely. We can start with that Thursday game, too. That Thursday game was pretty spicy. Yeah, we got to see my boy Justin Herbert. Face off against his idol after Derek Carr goes down and Marcus Mariota takes the helm. And it was a heck of a game. I mean, Herbert really played well. Mariota also played incredibly well. Yeah, he impressed and, quite a bit. And, you know, it was a good return to form for Mariota, but it wasn't enough to get it done. Chargers get the job done. Herbert looks phenomenal. Wins them that game on a, I believe it was a quarterback sneak mm-hmm. uh, in, in overtime. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal game. Quality Thursday night game, considering it was two teams that will likely not be playing in the playoffs. Absolutely. Speaking of two teams that won't be playing in the playoffs. Yes. We saw an NFC North matchup this past weekend that I know you wanted to talk about a little bit. Well, it, this game was just closer than we expected and higher scoring than we expected. Oh, very much so. The Both offenses went off in this game. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely way more exciting than I hadn't initially anticipated and I was shocked that the Bears were able to rally from behind and pull this off. I mean, you know, you got to wonder. Matt Nagy is definitely coaching for his job. I still don't know if there's going to be enough to salvage it. But they don't really have an answer at quarterback. And, again, a team with two quarterbacks has no quarterbacks, you know. They don't have an answer at quarterback. Really, you question if they have the answer at running back. I mean, David Montgomery has shown flashes of being either the every down back that they want him to be or the change of pace, explosive, big playback that they want him to be. But he hasn't really been able to do either one really well. When they Not try consistently. Him, when they try him as the every down back, it seems like he's just bottled up and never can really break it. Yeah, you know, swallowed. You'll see 10 carries for 28 yards or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when they try him on a change of pace, it's like, okay, he might break the 60-yarder, 50-yarder, might get you the big play on the screen. but He might also cost you two. Exactly. 
We saw another match that I know you were really excited about. Well, we both were. I shouldn't just say you. The Dolphins held on in a thriller against the New England Patriots. But it was also a little bit of a snooze fest. Yeah. Offenses, it seems like, for both these teams didn't really show up, or at least the Patriots' offense didn't show up, and Cam Newton continues to be nowhere to be seen. And yet, the Dolphins, kind of as we expected, Bill Belichick threw everything in the kitchen sink at Tua Tagovailoa and definitely threw him off. Yes. I mean, we we mentioned, uh, you know, not on the show, but you and I spoke on the phone shortly after our last episode, and we talked about how we learned of Bill Belichick's record against rookies and the kind of dominance he has against these guys who are not really seasoned NFL vets, and it's prolific. I mean, Bill Belichick, there's no doubting that, nor do I think we would start. Bill Belichick's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But I was a little bit surprised to have seen Cam Newton continue this fall quite as hard as he did and the Dolphins were able to pull it out. They showed a lot of resilience. They showed a lot of heart. And I think this Dolphins team obviously deserves to be in the conversation. But, you know, I could, I'd like to see them come away with one of these wild card spots. Yeah, they, they're definitely in that playoff hunt. Eagles-Cardinals wound up being a fantastic game. A game that was exciting end-to-end and... Honestly, the best I've felt about a loss all season. And I think that feeling is kind of universal here in Philadelphia. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how Jalen Hurts played. I Mm -hmm. mean, he played out of his mind in his second career start, really showing why Howie Roseman and the Birds decided to draft him in the second round, despite the question marks. His arm is looking, if not NFL-ready, getting there. I mean... I can't confidently say it was any worse than Carson Wentz has been this year. He was, you know. So I think that's huge. And then I think there was a lot of positive takeaways from the defense's performance. I mean, the defense really shined. They managed three takeaways. They, for the most part, held that team in check other than the couple of crazy plays that DeAndre Hopkins was able to pull off. But... That's what DeAndre Hopkins does. It doesn't matter who the defender is. So I agree with you. Definitely a loss to feel good about as much as you can feel good about a loss. A little disappointed that we're going to need to rely on as much help as we would to maybe make the playoffs. But it was definitely a promising sign of life from this side. Well, we also saw the Kansas City Chiefs face off against the New Orleans Saints. This was a game that we were excited about. especially after we recorded the episode, we found out that Drew Brees was 100% going to play. Yeah, and Drew Brees really did show up to this game. I mean, I had some question marks about him playing. I'm uh, I'm not going to hide that. You know, I was questioning Sean Payton's call to let him play. You knew Michael Thomas was injured. We know that this Chiefs defense is really impressive. Chris Jones is having a heck of a season. Yeah, collapsing pockets like crazy. And so I was a little bit surprised to have seen them let Drew Brees go in, and yet when the veteran asked to play, you let him play, and he didn't disappoint. I mean, Drew Brees had a heck of a performance for a guy whose entire you know, torso was crushed just a few, few, few weeks ago. And despite the loss, I think the Chiefs have to be happy and 
that we think of that as something they can build upon as they head toward the playoffs. And obviously the Chiefs need to be happy because they keep finding ways to win and are looking like they're locking up that top speed, top seed because the uh, not the Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost again tonight. Third loss is that third in a row or is it three out of their last four? Either way, either way, it's it's terrible free fall for a team that was talking skin. about being historically dominant. And you know, originally I was going to say the, or at least when the show started. The Chiefs were still in contention and, and still kind of scratching and clawing with Pittsburgh and some others about getting that top seed. And, well, now it looks like the Chiefs are going to lock it up with the really just abysmal showing, uh, following several abysmal showings by this Pittsburgh team. We got one last NFL point, and it's kind of a silly one. The NFL is going to be broadcasting some playoff games on Nickelodeon. Yeah, you know, it's a real push by the league to target a younger audience. Had, they have been saying for a little while, you know, given the shift to the internet, given the shift to YouTube, the smaller attention spans, the accessibility of everything being on your phone and your hand at all times, a lot of these live sports have been falling by the wayside with a lot of these, these younger generations. They just don't have the time or, or desire to kind of form their schedule around these games that are happening, whether they like it or not, you know. And so the league is being proactive. And we saw this Major League Baseball has done something similar in the past. We see this with a lot of ad campaigns. We see it with a lot of things trying to recapture a lot of those younger fans who just aren't accustomed to gathering around the television on a Sunday afternoon almost, you know, ritualistically to watch their team play. And so putting it on Nickelodeon I think is huge. Yep. I, I you know, they put it on Nickelodeon they're going to have their own little wacky commentators. It's not going to just be the normal, you know, CBS, Fox, whatever commentators. It, you know, they're going to have special commentators. They're going to have special, their own commercials, targeted commercials. They're going to have their own targeted, you know, graphics that bring up stats, that bring up, you know. Googly eyes on players, all slime. Of, all of the fun stuff. There's going to be, there, there's slime. There's going to be, you know. Little one-liners, little, even comparing, you know, oh, this player, you know, we normally get the, like, AWS update. Oh, such and such hit 21 miles per hour. You know, on Nickelodeon, it's, oh, such and such ran as fast as an ostrich, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it could be fun. It could be educational. It and, and it can help cultivate a bond between viewers and this league that you and I grew up watching and loving, but... A lot of this younger generation, it's just not there. It's not, yeah, they just don't have the same interest. But I think that's pretty much all we got for this week. Yeah, that wraps up this week's episode. An exciting holiday this week. Yes. We will still be recording. Is it Christmas Eve? Thursday? I think it is. Oh. Yeah. This is the holiday special. Yeah, right? I mean, eh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure something out. So we'll still be... 
recording an episode. We'll be getting something out to you guys for this football week coming up. I mean, we have an exciting football week match on Thursday night with Christmas Eve. We got some Christmas Day football on Friday, Friday football this week. And then we have another full docket of Saturday games, you know, again with the lack of bye weeks, all 16 regular seasons these these last few weeks of the you know year we get a full schedule. Yeah. Uh, that leads to some fun games. So we'll be back with you at some point before those to give you our preview. But as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Yep. As uh, You can find our socials at, at B-O-T-T Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. And you can find this pretty much anywhere podcasts are broadcast. Yeah, we're on, on like 11 platforms Anchor, at this point. Google, Apple, Spotify. Exactly. I mean, it's it's kind of aggressive. Yeah, no, we're everywhere. And Tom agrees. And Tom agrees. So get check those out. Drop us a like. Drop us a follow. Share it with your friends. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Happy holidays. And we'll be back with you with football news before the big day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.